Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What's up, everybody? It's Joe LaPuma. You're listening to the Complex Sneakers Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my two co-hosts. First up, my man, Matt Welty. How are you, buddy? Here we are. Big day. Woo, you're excited about this one. In my zone. Yeah, we got the Perrier. Go ahead, King. Go ahead. <laughs> Just so the audience, we'll get into it, but I'm letting you lead this one, Welty. And then, of course, from Brooklyn, we don't know what house he's in because he switches houses like he switches sneakers. My man, Brendan Dunn. Many different locations, many different pairs of shoes. I'm here. That's what matters. I'm happy for Welty. I'm happy for all of us. I'm excited for today's episode. The best thing is, is that you're here and the feds didn't pick you up in the, in the past week. That's yes. right. Did anyone get in touch with you over the hit and Nobody run? Nobody has contacted me about the hit and run. Hit and run is a dramatic way to, to describe it, about the mirror that I blew off someone's car in Brooklyn last weekend. Actually, somebody who I know in the neighborhood did call me and then hang up quickly, and I thought maybe it was about that incident, but he never followed up, so I think I'm in the clear. But like I said, if anybody lost a mirror off their truck in Brooklyn in the past few weeks because I... Ripped it off while driving by in a U-Haul van. Please let me know if you can corroborate your involvement in the incident. I'm happy to compensate you. Okay. It's like a hit and done, right? Oh, <laughs> there he is. I'm, I'm, I'm happy you said that, but I'm mad that it, it took you a, a week to, to, you know, we should have had that last week. Better late than never. How was the weekend? How was my weekend? Um, what did I do? I think, I, you know what I did? I was in the city. It felt good. Yeah. We had a three-day weekend. I was back at Golden Diner, one of my favorite establishments. Nice to see those people once again. You know, just nice to be outside. Went to the museum. You went to your old establishments, even though you got the Reebok deal? You haven't changed up yet? I'm waiting for the green bubble to come up when I text the group, so. <laughs> um, yeah, still the same me. Okay. Okay. Welty, what about you? Uh, weekend was good. Hung out with uh, some Portuguese uh, friends of mine in Newark, New Jersey. Went and ate some good food. Drank some uh, sangria, some red wine. Uh, okay. What was the good food involved? Uh, had some uh, pork chops with some uh, cherry pepper sauce on top. Okay, so hold on. Some prosciutto, some bread, you know. I would say that at the past three to four Italian restaurants I've been at, pork chops with cherry vinegar peppers is what I've ordered. And that's, I think that's becoming my favorite. It, it has been for a while, but I think that's my favorite Italian dish. And I'm glad, Welty, that you, uh, that you're adopting it too. I think that's like the best fastball down the middle. But Joe, Italian is this dish cultural right appropriation? Because Welty says he's eating it with Portuguese people. Uh, no, no. <laughs> he gets a pass. He gets a pass. 
He has come a long way. There might be cultural overlap there. He has come a long way from the Dwayne Reed prosciutto. Now he's talking about pork chops with that's cherry peppers. That is my. That's, that's that's like that is growth, and that's basically my order when I go out to these Italian places. So props to Wealthy. We're on the same wave, baby. Joe, how was your weekend? Weekend was good. Uh, I was in Long Island, low key. Um, I did make a stop. I, I had lunch in Sayville, which doesn't mean much to to you guys if you're not from Long what Island. Is, what and, does it mean? Uh, nothing, actually. Really doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and then I was bored of me and my friend Rudy of Yao Ming getting stolen from the front of finish line fame. We have to mention it every single time. Uh, we decided to look up some baseball card shops and see if there were any in the area. And we drove like 15 minutes to this baseball card shop. And let me tell you, it was a mess. It was a mess. And I went in there. Trying to get your Josh Luber on? Well, I I went in there and I was like, so my goal was not to go for valuable cards. It was just every card that I couldn't get when I was younger. And I used Mm -hmm. to remember going into like, um, I think there was a place called Jay and Jay's dugout or something or J and D's dugout. I I can't remember. And I remember like Daryl Strawberry's rookie card. It must've been like $75 and I would just stare at it. I got it for 12 bucks at this place. The same exact card. Same exact card, but then That's a blessing. I was asking, I mean, there was memorabilia all over the place, like action figures. They had like this Jordan upper deck pack that had like 10 packs of cards with like a Jordan cardboard cutout. I was like, how much is this? They're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. So everything I was asking for, they don't know. And I was like, guys, you're, you know that this like card thing is booming again. Yeah. I was did, like, you, did it feel like they were cashing in? Were they aware of this, you know, Ben Baller is tweeting about no, you know, packs no. of cards and I'm like four minutes? And you know me, I'm, I don't want to overstep, but I'm also like, hey, who can I talk to? Like there's this thing he going wanted to on. speak to the manager. Well, it's just like you got like, I mean, pot, it was it was like you had to step over things of memorabilia and and baseball cards. And I would be like, do you have a Lawrence Taylor rookie card? And they're like, oh, I'm not sure. The football cards are a mess. And then I ended up, I got a Ken Griffey Jr. upper deck rookie card. Mm-hmm. I got a Mark McGuire rookie card. I got a Ozzie Smith rookie card and the Daryl Strawberry one. And then I hit up some people and I was like, so how do I know what they're worth? And basically the long and short of it, you have to get them graded or the yeah, it's, it's like had, PSA, right? You, you texted Steve Aoki? No, I was going to text Josh Luber, our friend. Our friend Josh Luber, I was going to text, and I didn't, but I did think about it. Apparently, you know, the grading system, I was like, well, it looks... Are you going to send them off to, to get graded? I don't think so. You know what? I, I, hold, so. I hold a little bit of a grudge against shops like that because there was one that I used to try and go to in the Bonner County Mall in Sandpoint, Idaho. I can't recall the name of it. I want to say it was called Athlete's Choice, but I feel like that's a very generic sports wear store name, and maybe I'm conflating it with something else. But this was right when Pokemon cards first came out. I wasn't into the magic just yet. So you were go- – hold on. I have to. You're going to you're going into a place called Athlete's Choice, and you're asking for Pokemon cards? It's a sport in a way. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> – <laughs> I wasn't asking. I was begging. Do you consider? Do you consider Ash an athlete? <laughs> Ash, Ashley. Ash right, go ahead. So, Sorry, Doug. Okay, go so go. We would go in there. You know, I was in fifth grade. I think at the time, maybe fourth okay. grade. We would go in there and we would hound the old guy with the mustache about the Pokemon cards, and he didn't have them in stock. And he finally, he finally was like, "Oh, I'm getting some soon." And I remember coming back one week after school. My mom's office was nearby, so we would walk to the mall, quote-unquote mall. It's a dead place. But 
He finally got the Pokemon cards, but the problem was he got these tops versions of them. It wasn't the actual Pokemon trading card game. It was just these tops cards with pictures of Pokemon on them. I, I, you can't imagine how incensed I was, but I still bought some. Okay. That'll ruin your day. Po- the wrong Pokemon cards will ruin your day, okay, if you're Brendan Dunn. <laughs> and, and did, did you grow your mustache as a tribute to the guy at the shop? No, fuck that guy. But yeah, so I went in and I'm like, you know, I'm looking for stuff. And then I'm like, hey, like, you know, I, w- I was a little short of like, hey, I'll come in one weekend and like organize this for you and we should talk about it. I didn't do that. But like, there's a lot of opportunity there. Is there this your like, version of going to a vintage sneaker store and digging stuff out of the basement? So I left and I went, I was like, you know what? This is like a bar rescue episode. You ever mm-hmm. see Bar Rescue? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, I was like, Rudy, this feels John, like a John bar- Taffer. Exactly. I was like, this feels like a bar rescue episode for cards. So we'll see. I They're took my- their card. I took their business card. But I, I can't, as you guys know, I can't get into another thing. Like I that can't can- start obsessing about baseball. Card. I, I just can't. That could be an awesome even- uh con- content idea. Just to throw it out there, you get a you get a John Taffer of like sneaker resale, and he goes into these like independent uh, <laughs> consignment shops somewhere in like fucking Centerville, Ohio, and strains up their uh, flip game. Who's sponsoring it? Home Depot. Well, do we need a sponsor? Restoration Hardware. <laughs> Home Depot. Um, sneaker o- news. Anything in sneaker news? I don't know. One thing I was going to say that was pretty awesome over the weekend. That was, I guess, a big moment. I don't know how would you guys, if you guys watch it, was the Dave Chappelle acceptance speech. Yes. I did not see that. That was at the Emmys? That was huge, where he was just like, next yeah, time, yeah. just shut the fuck up. To his critics. Yeah. I need, I need a four-second video of him just saying that so I can keep it on deck. It was, uh, yeah, that acceptance speech, he won Emmys, and then he was like, uh, "This." he had an Emmy. He was like, this isn't the new one. This is the old ones, right? Yeah. And he's, as he's smoking a cigarette right on the, right. the middle of the stage, it was a pretty awesome moment. You know, oh, there is sneaker news. Yeah, what's sneaker talk about. news? Uh, sneaker shopping is back. Sneaker shopping is back. We had Alicia Keys on the first episode that ran Monday. The reception got good reception. It was great to be back. Uh, she was awesome. We're going to try to put together a season as much as possible. We got a good one coming up Monday. Very excited. Uh, have for you screened it? Very... it? Oh, you, you screened it. You, I haven't seen it yet. You haven't se- done. You haven't seen it yet. Wealthy have seen it. The intro I'm really excited about. And it's a part uh, two. Can we, can we at least put that out yes, there? It's a, it's a okay. part two. And, and I think the guest uh, delivered for sure. So, and then we'll see, you know, we're, we're trying to put together, a mini season. Obviously, everything's challenging, but uh, it's been good to be back, and we'll see where it goes. Man, really not sneaker news. Fragment three. Fragment threes. You te- you texted us late last night, and Brendan hits me up and doesn't want to talk about more uh, Kanye uh, sneaker circles on the on the podcast. But like, that, here we are talking about it. With the the unveil that he you know he did. Kanye that. West is leaking all the plans for the rest of the year. He even put the release dates out there a couple weeks back. <laughs> yeah, he Imagine the people in Germany are like, what is going on? <laughs> um, Kanye though, you see the new office in Atlanta? I wonder if he took that photo there. The new office in Atlanta looks crazy with the 100-foot screen. I don't know anything about that. There's a new Yeezy office? I think it's I think it has the 100-foot screen. Remember that, that he was, was watching that was fo- in Wyoming, but I no. thought it was in Atlanta. I'm not sure. Oh, I mean, I- the, the videos he's been tweeting out. I know what you're talking about. 
yeah, we'd have to check it. But yeah, seems like there's a lot of a lot of Yeezys on the way, which are colleague Ben Felderstein is super excited about. <laughs> Shout out to I, Ben. I think the colorways are really good. There was all those five hundreds that are yeah. like in like in like multi tone like earth tonal colorways, but they're actually yep. in colorways for once. It's not just like, hey, it's a gray shoe. It's a right. you know, it's it's a brown shoe. You're like, oh, it's purple and tan with a gum sole. You're like, oh, it's uh, some, giving us a little something more. Trying to look at what else we we've seen in that sneaker headlines recently. I do want to bring up Welty's Nike SB story, which and I'll tell you, man, reading that story brought me back. I know that we've been talking about SB for so long now, for the past six months or or more, yeah. and bringing that story brought me back to Special Sauce and Bayshore, and it really like. The detailing from the store owners about how, yeah, Nike SB dunks were popping, but then you had to take kind of all the skews. And I just remember going, uh, I just, I just remember going in and seeing blazers and what was that silhouette? The FC? Mm -hmm. FC, Angus, EQ, Exactly. So many. URL. But the Tiffany dunks that Brooklyn Dom spoke on and that was a point of like a center point of the article, I called special sauce four times a day for the Tiffany dunks for a month, a month. And I think I said on this podcast that I ended up with like a fake pair that someone from complex yeah. sold me a sales guy from who, back who in the day. And then can we snitch on them right now? No, right we here? can't. We can't. No, no, not on this platform. Is it something not that I would anymore. know? Is it something that I no. would know? Neither of you would know. Just put their so, name out there. The, you sent the picture in the the leather was wrinkled all funny where it's like it, 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 you could you could just tell it's not real. For the audience, <laughs> I had the shoes and I knew that they were fake. And you know, I'm at my house that I grew up in, and I'm staring at the Tiffany Dunks. The other thing, the other casualty of those Tiffany Dunks in college, a girl I was dating had a cat. And the cat totally scratched the toe box. That's cat when they were fake. When they were new and 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 when they were, I mean, still fake, but added on to the fakeness. So, but I was looking at the dunks the other day and I'm like, I'm sending it to Dunn and Welty. Maybe there's a shot that they Yeah, you said, like, is there a chance? And we're like, oh. <laughs> right away, Welty said, no chance those are real. Welty no chance. your hopes immediately. The, yeah. The one thing I didn't put in the story, for those who haven't read it, it's on um, complex.com. A uh, story, I, like a big reported story I wrote about like how shop owners dealt with and are dealing with our skate shop owners are dealing with uh, the Madness Pine uh, SB releases because, as we know, skate shops aren't like real sneaker shops that are used to releasing shoe week in and, and week out. So when you get a hype release at a skate shop, it just turns into like, I'll sell you these for twice as much money. I don't give a fuck. But the the one full circle moment in my life on that was one of the guys I interviewed for this story, this guy, Chris Rice, who owned the store, Identity in Portsmouth. That's like the guy I used to buy SBs from wow. back in the day. And like, Did I kind of knew him for. I kind of like I knew him like, you know, I used to shop there, but like I don't think back then like I ever told him my name and I was like nobody. It's not like we like hung out together or anything. You know what I mean? So it was like, oh, yeah, I remember you from the shop, but whatever. The, one of the other guys who used to work there used to come get um, Celtics jerseys off of me on the discount. The one thing I didn't get, how did the LeBron 7 part fit in? A LeBron 7 or something ended up in a skate shop? Yeah, because they were like selling like Nike was like trying to. Um, test them between do you want to be an energy store or do you want to be an SB store so they were kind of like playing them off with like both accounts and I remember walking in and like he's like yeah the rep just dropped these off and there's a pair of like LeBron 7s 
sitting in a skate shop and I'm like, because we, we, we spoke about it like that early on where it's like Jordan one just got dropped off in skate shops, you know what right. I mean? Where it's kind of like a weird history of like during the SB era, Nike was trying to like just put LeBrons in the skate shops. So I'm like, that's really strange. We always hear about going in. Oh, I miss going into stores and not knowing what the, sh- what were on the shelves. Honestly, that SB era, that was like, that was it for me because I never knew the releases. I worked mm. the finish line and I knew all the releases. The SBs, I didn't even know totally the different. releases. And it, it just is like going to Special Sauce in Bayshore. I remember there was a Jewish deli right next to it and I would get pastrami at the Jewish deli, a pastrami sandwich. And then I would walk past the window and just seeing the J-Rods, the first P-Rods with yeah. the elephant print elephant that print. Tinker did in the window, just sitting there and being like, wait, um, is this – do you have sizes? And they're like, yeah. And just buying them. That's the biggest anticipation. I, I I totally miss this moment of nowadays you buy everything online basically. But number one, you wouldn't know it was in the store. You see the thing on the shelf. And then that like time mm-hmm. in between asking yes. him, do you have this in a size 11? And from the time he has to go back and tell you whether he has it or not, like your whole life is kind of like unraveling yeah. before your eyes, whether you're going to get the shoes. Just like I, it was like, you know, some people get they say, oh, the old heads always the yesteryear of going into stores and not knowing what were on shelves. Trust me, when you it's have real. that feeling, it hits. That's different. exactly now. Now, you know how I felt with the Pokemon cards. Exactly. Exact. I mean, I thought that was sneakers, but that was, you know. Exactly. And then when it was the tops cards, it was like they didn't have your size in the J-Rods. Devastated. Yeah. Devastated. This was back before Wealthy became a full-blown Adidas hooligan. And I do think that's an important thing to bring up because we're going to talk a lot of Adidas today. A lot about Adidas. All right, guys. Let's get into it. We have a great guest on today's podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
In an era where authenticity and who was and wasn't there matters, our guest on today's podcast, Sneaker Legacy, is without a blemish. As a teenager growing up in Northwest England, he was a super fan of Adidas, and later in life he would parlay that passion and affection for the brand into a job in the 90s. It was at Adidas where he would handle everything from celebrity marketing, working with a spectrum of names that include everyone from Liam Gallagher, the Beastie Boys, and a young Kanye West before any of his footwear deals. In 2020, where it seems that converging popular culture with sneaker brands is all the rage, our guest was at the center of it before tunnel picks and on-stage sneaker unveilings. Though his unmatched ability to dig through the Three Stripes archive and unwavering view on things like brand loyalty, not buying into hype, and more, he would go on to create the Adidas Speciel line a seasonal capsule that gives a nod to Adidas's archive from the 70s and 80s with an updated twist. In its six years of existence, it's become a favorite of serious Adidas heads like one of our co-hosts on this very show. It's our pleasure to welcome to the Complex Sneakers podcast, Gary Aspen. Welcome, Gary. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Joe. How's everybody there? Good, good. Hanging in, you know, just uh, day by day, you know? Yeah, I listened to your uh, Chris Gibbs interview. Oh, awesome. I'm here. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I really enjoyed it actually. I um, thanks, man. Yeah, it took, brought a lot of memories back, and it kind of got me thinking. You and Chris go back a ways. Yeah, well, I was, you know, as I was listening to, it, I remember Chris coming to Paris for his first time to what was known back then as an Adidas style reference store meeting, and he came as a buyer, and he was kind of all wide-eyed and excited because he'd never been to Paris before and then listening to you guys interviewing him thinking wow how far everybody's come and yeah. how much has happened and how much this has changed since how it was when I got into the industry in the late 90s. Absolutely and the one thing I would say is that you know in a lot of interviews I've read growing up you said that a lot of the youth from Blackburn would travel abroad to find Adidas trainers. How was like at such a young age were you guys traveling abroad? Well, I'm kind of like the second generation of of that um, subculture, if you will. Um, you know, we have an Adidas culture in the UK that doesn't really, um, it doesn't always translate that well into other countries. So I kind of came into that probably around 1980, I would say. I was probably about 11 years old, something like that. and. Uh, in Blackburn, there was a generation who were just a little bit older than me. They used to do a thing called interrail tickets. Maybe they still do them, but back then you could go to the post office. You could get a one-year passport the same day. It was like a paper passport. Get an interrail ticket for like 100 quid, and that would give you a month's unlimited travel around Europe. Wow. And, um, you know, these guys are coming. You know, Blackburn is currently one of the top 10 poorest towns in Europe. So these guys are coming from Blackburn and going to Zurich and the likes, going, you know, going into these shops in Switzerland where, you know, the shopkeepers very naively left their, their trainers out in pairs. And, and just for the record, let's get this straight. Are we going to call them trainers or sneakers for this interview? I feel like we have to set a couple ground rules, even, even with yeah. Adidas or Adidas. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to, I defer, you are our guest. So I feel like we should show you the hospitality. Yes, we, you are a guest. You tell us, and we're doing that for the rest of the episode. I thought about that when I was going through this. You tell I us, I just Gary. don't want to scare off your listeners. Do you know what I mean? No. Like, let's go, we could go trainers. You know, who's this freaky English guy? We need subtitles, and he's talking about... <laughs> <laughs> no. Brainers rather than sneakers. I mean, you know, um, 
if I if I refer to them as sneakers, then just take it that I'm being polite. You know, I have okay. to go back to my hometown and show my face, and people go, <laughs> "What happened to you? What are you kind of trying to speak like an American for?" But I don't um, want to get off track because you were about to tell us how you were going to Zurich and stealing shoes out of, <laughs> yeah. 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 Out of a naive at a naive <laughs> sneaker shop owner, trainer shop owner. Yeah, yeah. The, the people you know, the people in Switzerland and Austria would naively leave the shoes out in pairs, and these guys would come back with holdalls full of shoes as well as holdalls full of leather jackets and uh, and designer clothing, and you know, like they were wearing like things like iceberg, you know, iceberg history that like. Those guys were wearing that stuff in like 1986 before any of the kind of hip hop, like that became a thing in London in the 90s. And I remember when Iceberg opened their like flagship store in Knightsbridge, guys from Blackburn would go in there with like leather Iceberg flying jackets on. And the, the guys in the shop would go up to them and go, are you from Blackburn? Before they'd even open their mouths because they had all this kind of stuff that nobody here had seen and even the people who were running their flagship store haven't seen so you know these these guys were kind of the guys who I aspired to be like as a kid they were they were um they were kind of sophisticated in their way they were you know they were mm -hmm. well read they had good record collections they were politicized but at the same time they kind of operated on the wrong side of the tracks and uh so yeah they would go abroad and they would pilfer these products and bring them back to Blackburn. And, you know, in the 1980s, <clears throat> there was a recession. So there was a lot of unemployment there, but you had all these incredibly well-dressed youths wandering about wearing designer clothes and rare Adidas trainers that, you know, you just didn't see on, on the, in the shops in the UK at that time. You know, you're talking about a whole different era. You know, you're talking about when shoes were made under license so if you travel from country to country, you would see different product ranges in different countries where now we have a much more homogenized and global look going on. You know, that's why I kind of, in a way, I like the fact that we're calling them trainers rather than sneakers. Because one of the things with Adidas Special is it's very much, you know, it's got a very localized following, I guess. You know, it's got a cultish following in the in the UK, and yet in some other countries, people just, you know, they, they, it doesn't resonate. They don't get, they don't understand the nuance of it. They don't understand the cultural reference points that go into it. Um, but like I say, I'm, I'm kind of good with it because when we first started doing Special, the whole idea of it was that some of the, what Adidas would describe as statement ranges, you know, some of the collabs that were selling in the fashion independence we're doing really well globally, but with the with the Adidas culture that we have in the UK, it, some of those collaborations weren't resonating in the same way in the UK. So Adidas kind of, the heads of Adidas UK said to me, well, what would you do, Gary? And I said, well, give me a week and I'll come back to you. And I kind of put this proposal together for this idea of this premium archive inspired range. And they were like, but you're not a designer. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not really a designer you need. What you need is a curator. You need somebody who has deep brand knowledge, who's able to know which elements of your archive will translate to a contemporary audience. So that was the, you know, the whole idea behind it. It was about trying to create something that's new and contemporary, but has that DNA and that feeling that I got from those products when I was growing up. It's very much about the kind of 
the relationship between what were essentially British youth cultures and this what was a very conservative German sportswear brand and the way that you know British youths kind of took these things and reappropriated them um, you know like the name Spezial in itself I mean that comes that comes from you know one of Adidas used to make speci specialist sports shoes and one of the most famous specialist sports shoes were the handball special, which is still in mm. the range to this day. But, you know, like handball special was like a huge shoe in my hometown when I, when it first came out, you know, like 1983-84, everybody had handball special. Nobody played handball. <laughs> like, <laughs> you never played so, a game of handball so, in your life. So, so, yeah, like, you know, and so some of these kind of, random indoor court shoes that were designed they were designed for sports that none of us would have dreamed of playing but mm -hmm. aesthetically they looked incredible so we would take those and reappropriate those to the way that we looked gary one of the one of the moments um from you know your youth uh that kind of i guess symbolizes you know you knowing which sneakers were were good and whatnot as you said when you were in um university or college as as we would say it that you were kind of like going out and getting dead stock shoes and kind of reselling them early on to help pay pay for everything. Like you had the eye for it to kind of like fund. Yeah, I, I didn't even, you know, I didn't see it as reselling at the time. You know, the 90s was a strange period. And so in the early 90s, Adidas came back with equipment and then they started to do Adidas Originals. But Adidas Originals in its first incarnation was driven by Peter Moore. And there were only like five styles, one to represent different areas of sport. Off the top of my head, it was Stan Smith for tennis, Superstar for basketball, Gazelle for training, Country for running, and uh, I can't even think of the last one, but you, you get the idea. This is the whole retro line only has room for five silhouettes. Yeah, but... but you know, you've got to remember in the 90s, there was no retroing. You know, we were only mm -hmm. just coming out of the 80s. So a lot of the stuff that had been around in the 80s was still kind of sitting in basements of kind of independent sportswear stores. And so um, after a few years of kind of breaking into warehouses and going to acid house parties and kind of growing our hair and kind of losing the plot a little bit. We, you know, I ended up going back to college as a mature student. So I was about 24 when I went back to college and I was studying fashion promotion. But, you know, I, I, um, I had to find ways to finance getting through college. And mm -hmm. part of that was finding old shoes and then selling them on, you know. So it was, you know, it wasn't the same kind of, you know, the dynamics were different because we didn't right. have the internet and you, you know. How were you selling them? Well, I, I found different ways of selling them, selling them to people I knew or selling them. I started selling them to shops in London. So the buyer for a shop called Browns in London started to buy shoes from me. And I would find them for in, you know, there was one place in Bradford that I used to go to that claimed to be the biggest footwear store in the world. And they had this kind of back wall that was just full of, old shoes and at the time you know that you know it was it wasn't like 
athletic footwear had been dragged into the mainstream at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, it was kind of a niche thing. You know, I went to college in the 1980s and I dropped out after six months because I moved to Manchester in the summer of 1988 and acid house happened and I dropped out of college. But then I used to put trainers on my fashion illustrations in 1988 and the, the lecturers thought I was from another planet. They really, they were like, what, why are you putting sports shoes on your fashion illustrations, you know, because, you know, in the 1980s, the only people that really wore athletic footwear were kind of either sports people, hip hop kids, or football casuals in the mm -hmm. UK. That was, that was kind of it, really. And, uh, and so it was very much a kind of an underclass thing. And it was only in the 90s that stuff started to get retro and then it started to get dragged back into the mainstream. And. So it just, you know, I wouldn't say it paid me through college, but it just helped, helped subsidize me while I was going through that. Gary, at any point in, in your obsession with trainers, with sports footwear, I'm, I'm sticking with trainers, man. Okay. Uh, were there ever any other brands for you? Because I know Reebok means something in the UK. I know Nike means something in the UK. Did this never mean anything to you? Yeah, I mean, I wore Nike shoes in the 80s. Um, you know, I had, a, I had like... Um, Nike Odyssey were the were the most expensive shoe on the wall in 1984. They were £59.99, and I had a pair of those. I had Nike Airborne. I had Nike Amiga Flame. I had, you know, there are photos that exist of me wearing Nike shoes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, like Adidas was always my number one. You know, I've had, you know, I've had New Balance. I was kind of, you know, but Adidas was my number one brand and the brand that I had the most affinity with you know i kind of you, what you have to understand is that the sne sneaker culture it's is, is an american term oh, okay. and, gotcha, and gotcha. you guys are driven by basketball yeah. we're here in the uk we're driven by shall i say soccer or football okay. <laughs> we're driven okay. by soccer for the sake of your fans but i'll call it football and you know like when we got into hip-hop and i was into the whole b-boy thing you couldn't find an Adidas superstar in here in the UK. They didn't exist. Mm -hmm. You know, the Adidas Gazelle was was our superstar. And so it was what when we were into that stuff in the 80s, whilst we would see American kids doing that stuff, you know, we saw all the you know Wild Style and Beach Street and all that stuff. The the things that they were wearing were not available to us and there was no internet. So it became about appropriation. And there was a lot of crossover between the way that b-boys dressed and the way that football casuals dressed. So there was a period in football casual fashion where they wore a lot of expensive European sportswear, the likes mm -hmm. of Fila, Sergio Tashini, Aless, yeah. those type of brands. And simultaneously, whilst that was happening, you know, Football casuals were wearing that stuff as well. And you also have to remember a lot of the guys who were prominent within UK hip hop came from the football, came from a kind of football casual background. So someone like DJ Milo from the Wild Bunch was a, you know, he was into football. Goldie from Wolverhampton, he was into, you know, they kind of, the two things kind of crossed over with each other. And so, you know, but then the b-boying thing kind of died out around 1986. It, you know, whatever anybody says in the UK, it died. It died on its ass, and mm -hmm. and and that was when a lot of 
you know, the early rap concerts happened. You know, I mean, I remember seeing Run DMC supported by the Beastie Boys. I saw the Def Jam tour with Public Enemy, Eric B and Rakim and LL Cool J. I, I, you know, I was around all that stuff. But then, like I said, simultaneously alongside that, you know, I was kind of listening to, you know, bands like New Order or, I don't know, Talking Heads or, you know, like the, the stuff that the kind of, casuals were listening to it, it it was a very kind of uh interesting time and a very exciting time and i'm very fortunate because i was kind of the right age at the right time in the right places to right. witness a lot of this stuff so let's fast forward to the 90s it seems like what you're just saying you're pulling from all different references you're establishing a crazy trainer archive and then in the 90s you get hired to work at the brand that you grew up loving and mm. archiving. What was it like those early days and getting the job there? And how did that play out? Well, just to be clear, I didn't have a trainer archive in the 80s and I don't know anybody that did. I had, oh, okay. I had lots of pairs of trainers, but we wore them and we wore them until they fell off our feet. Nobody collected trainers. You never thought about Nobody, cataloging no. and, Got it. And you never, you never imagined that trainer companies would be retroing old shoes because it was always like, what's the next technology? You know, when when shoes were coming out, it was always kind of like, oh, wow, you know, Dellinger Web. Oh, wow, suspension plugs in the midsole. Oh, you know, like the first ZX range came out, or ZX, as you people would say. <laughs> <laughs> and it blew my mind. And then, the, you know, the second ZX range comes out and you've got the torsion bars in there and so you know, it was like nobody, nobody collected. People just wore until and, 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 and interacted with it. So it. I, I, I end up, you know, when I ended up starting, when I started working for the brand, um, that was in the late 90s. And it was just a totally, totally different landscape to what we have now. You know, there was no orig Adidas Originals as a division of the company. They had Adidas Originals, which was, like I say, based on five silhouettes. And then mm -hmm. you had, you know, a very small originals apparel range, which was kind of made up of Firebird tracksuits, really. So when I joined the company, there was no, um, there was no trefoil apparel kind of uh, available in this company, in this country at the time. The company was, it, it had the leftovers of, of Firebird tracksuits from the Britpop years, but there was, Originals apparel, it was kind of it was kind of over. And so I would go to these Adidas global marketing meeting looking to try and find people who worked in countries where Adidas was still made under license. So I'm like, oh, you're from Argentina. Hey, here's my business card. Do you want to swap some of your, that licensed product to yours? I'll send you uh, some signed some signed memorabilia from Oasis and they'd be like, yeah. yeah, great. And so there was all, or like South Korea were making their own stuff at that time. Uh, so that's when you started building up your personal collection yeah. once you got into the brand and you had access to the global network of yeah, different and, products. But, 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 you know, but, but there was no way to buy that stuff internally. There was no way to do budget shifts. So the only way I could do that was to hustle it by saying, Hey, do me a favor, send me four boxes of those superstar ones from Japan, and I'll get you and all your friends into the Fuji Rock Festival on the guest list. Okay. And that it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of really hustling because 
nobody inside the company was thinking along those lines. And then on top of that, I would be saying to the sales team, hey, do you know of any sports shops that are sitting on old stock that might want to swap for new stock? And so I'd be going in with like these shoes like Falcons and response shoes that some people want to reissue nowadays and kind of that that at the time nobody was that interested or wanted, certainly not the people I was working with because I was working with musicians and most of them were wanting kind of, you know, retro products. So yeah. I would be going in and, 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 and into these sports stores and saying, you know, if you let me kind of clean out your basement, I'll swap you for new products. And they would be like, fantastic. And I'd be yeah. going, yay, fantastic. So then in the office, I would have this kind of whole store of old shoes. So I'd speak to somebody like, I don't know, JK from Jamiroquai or Noel Gallagher oh, or whatever. And they'd be saying to nice. me, they'd be saying to me, you know, I've got, I've got all the money I need and I've got all and it's not I don't care about getting free shoes what I care about is getting shoes that nobody else can get okay. so, so my whole yeah. thing would be if I was going to give them some of our new reissues I would pepper that with bits of vintage stuff and now I think back to some of the stuff I gave away at that time like, oh my god oh man but, I bet but, but it was kind of you know that was the uh, that was a currency. It was relationships and it was product. One of the, one of the shoes um, that I guess nobody can get that you were instrumental in around the same time as you had mentioned that you were the one that kind of uh, created the first Bape Adidas collaboration, or you were instrumental in doing like the first shoe. Like how did, how did you can, how did that happen? How did you convince Adidas to do a Bape collab? Like that was like, very early on. Yeah, well, I'm kind of jumping around a lot because there's, <laughs> there's a lot to There's a lot of history. Yeah. Gary, you have a lot of history, brother. I've we only bit, have an hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, what happened was um, <laughs> I was working on entertainment, but I was a product fiend. And uh, and the, the around 2001, they'd made Adidas Originals a division of the company. So I was involved in organizing the global launch of Adidas Originals. So we did the global launch party for that in London. I had, I was working with a lot of musicians. I had good relationships with a lot of musicians. Some of those musicians I had relationships with from when we used to do the Acid House parties in Blackburn. And so they were very accommodating and supportive to me. So I went over to Japan for the first time in 1999 with a band called The Happy Mondays, who've just done a collaboration with Palace Skateboards. Uh, they, and I, I went over there with them, and uh, every year after that, I used to go back to Fuji Rock. One year when I was at Fuji Rock, I, uh, I was in Tokyo before it, and uh, Ian Brown invited me to go with him to the Bape store because Ian Brown had been getting Bathing Gate products for quite a while because Nigo loved the Stone Roses. And, you know, Nigo back then had like a kind of, Beatles haircut and a kind of epaulettes and look, he, he, he looked incredibly cool, but he looked like a, yeah. a kind of Japanese mob. That was the best way to describe his look, you know. And uh, and so I threw Ian. I, I remember the first time I went to the store and they they said, you know, kind of take what you want, and I didn't take anything because I didn't feel it was kind of my style. And the, and I knew all the people who were into Bape in London, and it was a real small clique of people. It was like Fraser Cook, James Lavelle, Michael Koppelman, that group of people. And so 
the next time I was over there, I was introduced to Kazuki Karashi, and Kazuki was a graphic designer who worked for Bathing It. Kazuki loved playing football, so I used to send football kits for the Bathing It football team. And so over time, me and Kazuki just built a rapport and became friends. So when I'd go to Tokyo, I'd always hook up with him. And then they were doing the school tour kind of superstar looky-likes, which I got what they were doing. It was kind of a homage to the superstar. This was before the kind of all the rap fraternity had kind of discovered Bathing It, really. The American rap fraternity, and so and you said that the, for the superstar, which was the collaboration, Nigo loved the superstar. That's how it came about, kind of right. Well, that the silhouette came about. Well, yeah. Well, they were already, like I say, doing these skull tours, which were kind of superstar looky likes, and I could see that was a homage. And so, um, Adidas Japan had no connection to bathing it because they were such a closed shop. You know, you mm-hmm. like they never invited anybody into the HQ in nowhere. They were just they were just a closed shop. And we talked and we said, let's do something together. And so we did. And you know, I, I was just I was like the catalyst. The product okay. team in Germany took it over and they developed some shoes together. And then the bathing gate, the busy workshop in London launched the shoe and it was the first time I ever saw overnight kids queuing overnight to buy Adidas shoes and they were camped out overnight and you know and it's funny because I I, 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 had, to, I had to get a pair of them out a few weeks ago and on the back of the shoe it's like one of 500 and I think one of 500 like that was such a small, crazy. Like, it's just unimaginable now. Do you know what I, I mean? remember the headquarters at Adidas when I was an intern at Complex or early in my career, I would go to the headquarters in Soho and that shoe was like on the wall, just like front and center. And, and like, it was the only time I really saw that shoe, that camo, that camo superstar. It was so, so rare. Yeah. And, and the thing about it was, it was through that project that I kind of became I met Michael Koppelman through Fraser Cook originally. Me and Fraser were friends, and he introduced me to Michael. Michael is the kind of godfather of streetwear in the UK, in Europe, really. You know, he was the mm-hmm. guy who brought Stussy here. He was the guy who brought Bailingate here. He was the guy who brought Neighbourhood, Visvim. He brought it all here. But Michael's kind of humble. He stays out of the limelight. You know, he he, he does all the work, you know, he... He works with Supreme now. I think he does all their distribution and warehousing or whatever. But Michael's a great guy. And I've met Michael. And so we worked together on that project. And then Fraser and Michael set up a store together called Foot Patrol. And again, Uh, I had to employ a lot of my tactics that I'd done with entertainment to get product for Foot Patrol. Because, you know... For a small independent sneaker boutique, why would anybody want to supply this store? Because their stock room's tiny and they want exclusive products in small runs. Well, doesn't everyone? They're not going to do volume. Yeah, they're not going to do volume and it's going to upset the big boys who've got big high street sportswear chains. Um, And so I started kind of sneakily doing swaps and exchanges to get superstar ones from Japan. I managed to get a bunch of decade laws from the US and just getting product for them because I knew it was the right thing to do. Adidas needed to have presence in that store because I believed that the people who were running those stores were as in, as influential as any celebrities. 
And you were totally right, because for those who don't know Fraser Cook, who you're talking about now, he's been at Nike for decades running their biggest collaborations. And he's the person responsible for convincing the coolest artists around the world to do work with Nike. I know I know you were in that same lane for a while at Adidas too. talk about the Bape thing and that that turned into this fruitful partnership for many years. Um, One thing that didn't really pan out, I know there was this relationship that almost happened between Kanye West and Adidas. Can you talk about how that happened? I think it was around 2005, 2006. Well, let, 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 me, let me talk about Fraser Cook before we talk please, about please. that. Let me talk about He's a quiet Fraser. guy too, and I, I, I wish we had more history on the record about Fraser Cook. Yeah, well, the funny thing was, the last, last time I saw Fraser, uh, we were in the same room at the same time, was the Morwax anniversary exhibition. And me mm-hmm. and Fraser were still talking to them. People were pulling their phones out like, oh, my God, they're speaking to each other like we'd be enemies because, <laughs> like, you know, and I'm like, no, I like this guy. We just happen to work with different brands, you know. And, yeah. uh, and uh, I see a Ronaldo. And, but, <laughs> but interestingly, with, with, with Fraser, I remember when Fraser got the job at Nike and Michael called me up because Fraser and Michael used to come to those same style reference store meetings that Chris Gibbs used to come to okay. to, to buy for Foot Patrol. And they kind of sat me down in this restaurant in Soho in London and basically said, Gary, we've got to break some news to you. Fraser's going to Nike. And I was like, <laughs> great, you know, good, you know. You supported it. Yeah, good, you know, and, and, I, and I, you know, nothing but respect for him. But interestingly, what I was going to go on to say was from that bathing ape collaboration and from that stuff with Foot Patrol, that was where kind of Adidas Consortium was born out of because we had the Superstar 35th anniversary. And I put this idea forward, which was stores like Undefeated, stores like Union, stores like Foot Patrol, you know, these independent sneaker stores. At the time, you know, the, the, big, the big sportswear brands were only interested in volume stores. And it mm-hmm. was kind of, and so Adidas were kind of ahead of the pack with, when we did the 35th anniversary, you know, we, we, we launched this consortium idea which was an idea that I kind of dreamed up. Unfortunately, the team in Germany kind of agreed with me and shared the vision for that. And that's where that was born out of. Um, so, so, you know, and that in a way set a blueprint for, you know, I can see that stuff that we did back then has almost like laid the foundations for the, the current situation that we find ourselves in now, for better or for worse. Um, I want to talk about that Kanye pitch, though. Go on, then. What do you want I'm to not, know? I'm not, what do you want to know? I'm not letting you off the hook. <laughs> Go on. What do you want to know? So tell me what happened. Some some Adidas executives flew from Germany to L.A. No, I I, I, I went and met with... I was, I was the global head of entertainment at that time. It was before Wex worked on entertainment. Wex had been working as a salesperson. I had a great relationship with Wex. He, uh, me and him had... Uh, clashed with what the one particular guy guy clashed with both me and Wex. Wex left and went to work for another sportswear brand for a while. And then he came back to Adidas. Um, I stayed with Adidas and kind of rolled out that situation. But um, I was, I was global head of entertainment at the time. And there was talk about potentially doing some kind of collaboration with Kanye West. And so they asked me to go and see him. And one of the ladies who worked in my team in L.A. had a relationship with him and Don, his manager. So I went along to the studio and I met them. 
and he was very gracious and he was very accommodating. And when he realized that I was the guy that was instrumental in doing that first bathing ape collaboration, he couldn't have been nicer to me, to be honest. He was very respectful and he was like, you know, and he would, I remember saying to him, you know, that I'm the guy that put that together. And he was like, I like that. You're telling me you did something, you know, I'm like, yeah. and he was, you know, but he was make he was recording an album at the time. And I was kind of sitting in the studio while he was doing what he was doing. So my job was essentially to, to, to get those guys in the same room together, not to kind of put a contract in front of him. That's as far as it went. But around that time at 2005, Kanye was on the complex cover. And if I remember correctly in the interview, he's talking about, I want to go, I want to buy every vintage Rod Laver out there. Was there talks about the Rod Laver and him going back and like he was wearing Rod Lavers and then trying to go back and buy so many Rod Lavers. Was that part of the discussion or did it get that far or what? Well, it's interesting because that was his go-to shoe at that time. Um, but the thing is, he's like a, he's like a 12, like, you know, we, we, we had to service a, a lot of different people. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there, there just weren't enough 12s in the market to satisfy his, his appetite. So he, you know, it's like he wanted a, you weren't going to make a trip to Argentina for him. Uh, well, they, I don't think at that point, the license in Argentina had gone, but that's another story. He would what love we, that trip today though. He would love that trip. You guys go like that. It seems like that, that is overdue for yeah. a trip today. Yeah. But that was, that was his go-to shoe at that time, the Rod Laver vintage. And he's a size 12. And we, we tried to get him as many pairs as we, we possibly could. And he went through a lot of those pairs. And I met his, his manager, Don, and his manager, Don, was really nice. And I know he does his own thing with Nike these days. And yeah. Don C, of course. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Kanye was rapping about uh, Rod Lavers and Stan Smiths and things like that. And one central theme is that the celebrity kind of marketing and – we talk about the Stan Smiths. Like th- there's a story that my co-host wrote about how Stan Smith felt cool when Jay-Z was aware of the shoe and how Gary being, being into celebrity marketing from a past and now seeing how it has kind of progressed in a way that it's like, you know, our job is every night tunnel picks or this one is performing here or unveiling. How do you feel about kind of like the, celebrity marketing now and how it differs from back then think it's too much do you think it's just kind of a victim of progression of the popular culture and how big trainers or sneaker spaces got i mean i think it was inevitable it was going to go this way um you know what's often happened with sportswear brands is it usually takes them a while to catch up with the consumer you know, like when we, when I was running around, when I was at college in the 1990s, picking up old shoes, you know, the people inside the brands, I don't think we're really that aware of that. It, you know, it's only, it's only been this last couple of decades where people like me have actually got inside these companies mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, and, and slowly these, you know, these companies are, you know, it's a very, very different animal to the, to the company I joined. I remember my first global marketing meeting of Adidas and the head of the company kind of banging his fist on things saying, this is not a fashion brand, you know, and within a few years, you've got kind of like Y3 and you've got all these collaborations happening. You know, a lot of stuff that was done in the early 2000s is now formulaic. It's now standardized. 
Um, it's now expected. Um, one of the things for me with with when I started doing Special in 2014 was I wanted to do something that was the antithesis of that, really. Like, because I'd, I'd worked on collaborations in the early 2000s. I've been instrumental in a lot of kind of key collaborations through, you know, my relationship with Kazuki, you know, like the first neighborhood collaboration as part of Superstar 35. I, you know, like I'd, I'd, I'd done a lot of that stuff and I just thought some ways it can kind of become lazy where it's kind of like, we want to be cool, right? Find someone famous. You know, mm -hmm. like find a fashion designer quickly, make, <laughs> make our product cool for us. And I think that, there, you know, I like the idea that there's still people out there that are interested in this idea of appropriation. And I also, the thing that, and I'll probably sound a little bit old and uh, long in the tooth for saying this, but it saddens me that when the value of the product is purely based on its commercial resale value because the whole beauty of this thing that I got into as a kid was about interaction with the product there's wearing it till it fell apart nothing makes me happier than when I go to watch football not that I've been able to watch it this year with everything that's gone on but pre-covid when I would go to a football stadium and I would see people wearing special shoes and wearing special apparel and I'm like, that's where the value is for me. That, you don't know how many football match. matches Matt Welty has been kicked out of while wearing Spezia. <laughs> I know. You don't know how many flares <laughs> and beers have spilled over. But that's really, really important. And yeah. I think that if all it becomes about is, is, is like a commodity that you're buying, like people are buying and selling art. Mm -hmm. right. it's, you know, I, 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 come from, I, I come from a working class environment where people – wore these things as a kind of a, a as a badge of honor it was it mattered or you know it was it was part of our identity it was part of the fabric of who we were it wasn't just like i've got the must-have shoe and god it's worth this much it was kind of you know we wore it and interacted with it and i and i, and I still believe that's an essential ingredient within all this now there's probably some young kid laughing at me saying this right now he's going yeah man but mine's worth x amount but you know, I, I don't just want this to be an exercise in consumerism and capitalism. I want this to be something that is integral to culture. But one one of the moments I think too was Spezial, um for like a pop, I guess a pop culture moment that uh, U.S. Uh, consumers can kind of relate to is you've kind of taken you know your uh, expertise in, in um, entertainment marketing. And you've kind of brought it over to um, Spezial in a way that makes sense. Like you've done collaborations with both Liam and Noel Gallagher. So basically, you're going to bring back Oasis um, yourself. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the thing is with collaborations within Spezial, we've not done many of them. You know, we I think we've been doing Spezial for probably four seasons before we teamed up with anybody and that was we did mm -hmm. one shoe with Noel Gallagher we did uh we did a small collaboration with Union and part of that was because of my friendship with Chris Chris was wearing a pair of special shoes all the time and people you know kids from the U.S. were going in Union and scratching their heads and pointing at his shoes and going what what 
what are they? You know, they because the because nobody had any. You know, but you know, for me, I, I don't. I come from a mindset where it was like you wanted to find that shoe that nobody ha- nobody else had, in that colorway that nobody else had, rather than it kind of being this prepackaged idea of there's half a dozen go-to shoes that you must have in order to be a sneakerhead if you will. Do you know what I mean? I I like the idea that, you know, when people talk about the culture, I don't see it that way. I see that there's lots of different strains of culture that this taps into. You know, what I come from, when we're talking about working class northwest of England football casuals, that's one element of culture, and that's valid. In the same way that when we did a... um, we did a range in spring 2017 of Special where we worked with Chronics, you know, Jamaican reggae artists. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of that collection, it was not a collaboration with Chronics. It was a collection that I designed and it was about showing the parallels between the way that we dressed in the UK and the way that Jamaican Rude Boys dressed because it was this idea of taking things and reappropriating them. So it was... You know, it's, it's like, still not big to you, though, like seeing like Liam Gallagher, like doing that shoe together and like have it be this huge, massive, like, you know, international crossover success. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's always nice when things sell out fast. It's great. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I like that. It's, and it's great. You know, but at the end, um, you know, and, it, and, and that can still be exciting and that can be seductive, you know, but it's also seeing that. Like I say, I, I, I want to make products that people are going to interact with. Collectibles are fine, and don't get me wrong, you know, I've probably got 3,000 pairs of Adidas, many of them vintage. I've exhibited my shoes. I have a collection, but my, you know, like I did it the other week. I, I managed to get hold of a pair of vintage Adidas waterproof from a guy in Russia, and I paid, <laughs> I paid him 300 pounds for them, and then he put a receipt in them, and I ended up having to pay customs charges so they end up costing me about 450 pounds i get them they're a worn old pair of shoes from 1983 they they arrive at my house and then i go oh great i got them and now they're now they go into my lockup in the hope that one day they'll be exhibited it's like they're not even my size do you know what i mean but but it was just that thing of i just you know I, i understand the thing of collectability I understand the thing of hype. I understand the way that people get sucked in and seduced by that. But I think alongside that, there has to be, you know, there has to be some kind of interaction and wearing these things, you know. My, my, my collection is a resource for my job, ultimately. One thing that I really like that you said earlier and kind of like you were, cele- you were sending celebrities the sneak, the trainer of the moment, but also things that no one else had. It's kind of a thing that could not exist though in 2020, right? There's no way to find things that sneakers or trainers right now that no one else had. It seems that to your point, artists are getting seated basically the same five to 10 sneakers every few months, but it seems that you were kind of doing it a totally different way. Do you think that model could have existed or can exist now? It, it doesn't seem like it could. Um, I think it, I think it's so. Uh, I think it does in the UK, if I'm honest. Okay. Um, I think, you know, like I say, I think the motivations and the drive of the culture here are quite different to the US. I mean, London is far more US influenced than the rest of the UK is. The way that men dress in London or youth dress in London 
is 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 totally different to the way it is in the north. You know, something like Supreme or Palace in the north of England are seen as kind of niche brands. Whereas to my 13-year-old son growing up in London, like my 13-year-old son, he knows about all the brands that I wear, but you know, all his friends at school, it's all about kind of, you know, skate brands like Supreme and Palace. Now, my girlfriend lives in the north. She has three. Uh, she has three kids. She has a daughter and two sons. One of her sons is 19, one of them 17. If I showed up with a Supreme box hoodie for Christmas this year, they would look at me like I've got two heads. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Like, really? They would That's care? interesting. They would not care. Whereas if I showed up with a, a CP company jacket, mm-hmm. they'd be like, thanks, Gary. Wow. Good man. You know, you know, it's a little like me and Matt Welty <laughs> sitting next to each other in the office a little bit. So, so yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's just different reference points. And that's not taking anything away from mm-hmm. Supreme or Palace. All I'm mm-hmm. saying is, you know, there's not a monoculture. No, there's not a monoculture. You have the upcoming Spezial collection that, um, you know, released this past weekend. You had the collaboration with New Order. For, you know, as people who listen to this and don't know who New Order is, there's obviously that huge New Order corruption uh, lies uh, collection with Supreme. Just use it as a, as a reference point. You, as you always post the the Spezial pictures as kind of like a teaser of all of it. There's a shoe that's hiding in the corner. Yes. Oh, you want that... an exclusive? <laughs> yeah, this guy. He, he, this guy. <laughs> Got to get a scoop before we get out of here. All right, here. I'll, go, yeah. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go as far as to give you the name of it. It's the Manchester 89 SPZL. How's that? Ooh. There you go. So, so you know that as you're talking about everyone in this uh Who's, who's watching or listening to this? Um, all the f- old football casuals, all the guys who argue <laughs> most, with most you on the in internet. Amer- most people in America, as I said that, would just call <laughs> and <laughs> scratch their heads. Most people in the UK will kind of like be having street yeah, parties. But <laughs> as we know, the guys in the Facebook groups who get mad at you, you know, when all the pictures are leaked, they're like, oh, there's glue on this shoe. Oh, don't they Fuck ever. you. <laughs> all, all the guys giving you death threats on the internet over, like, models that, that you've created. They just want to know that it is an Adidas Manchester shoe that okay, is Okay, well, just to give your your listeners a little bit of background, there was a shoe that I did in the early 2000s, back in 2001, called the Adidas Manchester there's a lot of hype on that shoe. You hate hype, but there's a lot of hype. But I'll tell you something interesting. When that shoe came out, we made a very small number of them, and it was because the Commonwealth Games were happening in Manchester. And I convinced yeah. the product manager at the time, I said, look, the, you know, the City Series of Adidas shoes, you know, flat suede training shoes yeah. that a lot of football casuals love, particularly nowadays, because they weren't actually that big in the 80s, just for the record. Yeah. Yeah. I said, let's let Manchester is a city that's always been in Adidas Heartland, as is Liverpool. Let, why don't we, we make a special shoe for the Commonwealth Games? So we made them and they kind of sat, they didn't fly off the shelves by any means. And as the years went by, the kudos of those shoes grew. And then in 2010, Size did a 10th anniversary and they mm-hmm. did a Manchester based on that shoe. And they sold really fast. And the Manchester shoes just went up and up and up in value. And so when I started seeing the crazy prices of them, I was like, you know what, this is getting silly. 
So I, I, I reworked the shoe, reworked the upper pattern and did a GT Manchester. So Manchester itself, the wider area of Manchester is Greater Manchester. So we used to do shoes like Stockholm GT, Adidas would do shoes like Stockholm GT. So it was a play on that GT Manchester, Greater Manchester, because it, it was greater than the original shoe that I worked on in 2001. I felt we'd improved it. And so we did those and they literally sold out in minutes. Mm-hmm. And I felt with this drop that because we were doing the New Order shoes, because I'd originally talked to New Order about doing a, a, a Manchester New Order edition, but it's not a shoe that Bernard from New Order wears. And so he stipulated he wanted a shoe that he wears. So we opted to go with the Wilson for the New Order shoe. But at that point, I, I was kind of fired up about doing another Manchester and I had an idea for it of how we could kind of do something that would that would take that shoe in another, in, in, keep the DNA of that shoe, but take it somewhere new. And so we did a Manchester 89 and I was, when people saw it, everybody was freaking out about it. All the buyers. What color is it? I'm not telling you anymore. You can you see <laughs> the trying. back of the shoe, but all yeah. the all the stockists were freaking out about how good they look. And so I said to Adidas, please, 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 the problem we have with Special is we drop a full collection at one at like you know, it'll be like five shoes and an apparel collection all all in one drop. So right. sometimes it's kind of com- competing against itself because you know the guy does. He wants to buy everything, but he, you know, he's got to strategically buy because the apparel sells out so quickly. He needs to know which apparel pieces he's going to prioritize. And so often it competes against itself. And I thought if we put these shoes, drop them with the main collection, as well as a new order story, it's too much to, to talk about. So let's just pull those and do them as a standalone drop later in the year. And so that's what we're going to do. And the other thing was this has been a really tricky year because this collection was originally penned to drop in July. So it was essentially a summer collection. And now here we are dropping it at the beginning of autumn because the spring summer collection had been pushed back. That meant we had to push everything else back. So, but you know, everything like moved. Mo- a lot of people in America who are pr- apart from a few kind of expats <laughs> will, will probably be like, Adidas Manchester's, yeah, whatever. But like, here, here in the UK and Northern Europe, it will be quite a big deal, I'm sure. There, there's obviously a lot of people out there for, for whom this is a big deal. And Welty alluded to it now. You have this this group of fans that you've built up who are rabid, who are on your Instagram all the time, asking you customer service questions and why this shape doesn't look better. Do you ever regret in some small way the amount of attention you've drawn on yourself by creating these products, because you, you you are a guy who has to kind of battle it out on social media with Adidas obsessives like yourself well, asking you questions. Well, the thing about it is they say it because they care. And so I have to respect them for that. I won't take mm-hmm. abuse off anybody. I won't take abuse on in the streets. So I won't take it on social media. So the first few seasons, I was always kind of very accommodating to everybody. I kind of took this customer's always right approach. And then, you know, I didn't even have Instagram until I did Special. Adidas asked Mm -hmm. me to set up an Instagram because I was doing Special. And then after a while, it just got a little bit much. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just making myself very available here. If If someone's got a point of view, that's fine. If someone's abusive, they're blocked. 
it's that simple. And, and, and um, you know, and I always get the kind of, you know, just my opinion, but you should have done this. And it's like, <laughs> I got a lot of people like that yeah, on my you know, IG and, too. And it's, like, and it's cool, you know. I've, I've and I'm sure the DMs are even worse because there's there's one yeah, one number of people in the comments, and then they want to have a private conversation with you in the DMs, and that's another level. But the other thing is, people who are saying this, a lot of them have never built a shoe, and a mm-hmm. lot of them have never designed an apparel range, and they don't know about price points, they don't know about merchandising, they don't know about volumes they don't know about distribution so it's just they just imagine that i'm kind of sat there with the entire adidas back catalog and can kind of just pick and choose whatever i feel like reissuing out of there sketching stuff out like it's the late 80s and they don't know about last they don't know about toolings you know and, and but as it goes on and the more information i put out it's like i kind of fuel the beast because they they now come back with all the kind of like all the language that we that people inside the industry use, you know, that ice day could be a little bit longer, and you know, you now they're the experts. Yeah, but but it, but but it's cool, you know, and and um, you know, they, they they care about. I think sometimes also the fact that you know I'm a working class kid who who was a hip hop kid who went to football matches, who went to acid house parties, and they kind of look at that and go. I grew up in that era. I went to football matches. I was a hip hop kid. I went to acid house parties. I can do what he does. And they mm. seem to forget that, like, I I did four years at college. Like, I've what I did prior to college informs my work. But I went to mm-hmm. college for four years. I got a first class honors degree. I worked with Adidas for fourteen years before I put the idea of Special forward. So I'd, I had a 14-year track record of consistently de- delivering good work. Much of that work was quite visionary work, if I don't say so myself. And, and, and through that, when I put the idea of Respecial forward, Adidas, there was sufficient trust there. It's like, well, this guy's got a pretty good track record. This seems very, what's the word? Um, like it's flying, it's it, it's it's flying in the face of everything that's happening within sneaker culture because it's kind of in many ways Special is going in the opposite direction because right. it's not kind of collaboration heavy and it's not reliant. You know, I don't measure the success of shoes by how much they're selling for on StockX. They but, sell for know, a lot sometimes. You sold a pair of shoes for sixty five thousand dollars, man. <laughs> but but it's but it's kind of it's the whole the whole premise of it is, is you know me being in the position i'm in people will go yeah it's time somebody else did what he does and i'm sort of like well i kind of created this thing do you know what i mean i i, I christened it i named it i built you know it's kind of it's something that i have built and nurtured and you know in the in the early days of special i remember once speaking to peter hook from new order and peter hook said in the early days of new order when they were on the tour bus, he used to reply to fan mail. And he said, he said that he knew that every letter that he wrote, he, he would have a fan for life. And, and I kind of thought that's a very, that's a, that's a great philosophy to take. And I took that approach in the early days of Special. But then, you know, as the following for it has grown, it's got harder to do that. Do you know what I mean? But I do put myself out there and I do stand by what I do. I'm not, facelessly hiding behind customer services do you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and some and, and you know and it's my job in a way to take risks 
and to try things out. And, you know, I know that when I do a, a leisure shoe or leisure, she was an American would call it. We need a whole glossary I, for this. Episode. I know, I know that's yeah. going to divide opinion. I know some people are going to look at that shoe and go, wow, that looks like a shoe that my grandfather would wear. And I kind of go, yeah. And that's the point, you know, yeah. that's the point. That's why, that's why, you know, it's the same mentality as to why rude boys wear Clark shoes. It's this kind of, it's taking something that's, you know, almost anti-hip and kind mm -hmm. of, you know, putting it into new context and making it look fresh and interesting, you know? Well, Gary, thank you so much. I know we could have went on and on. I know that your time is limited. Can't thank you enough for joining and giving us all the history. I know you made, uh, you especially made one of our co-hosts day. This guy in the, in the office is all we hear about you and, and your legacy. So it was great to chop it up with you and, and hear some stories. So thanks so much, man. Thanks so much, Joe. Yeah. And thanks, Brendan and Matt. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about. As I say, you know, what I did before I got into this industry kind of in many ways has informed my entire career and, uh, so yeah, um, but it's really nice to be here. Thanks for asking. We're happy to just hear a small yeah. piece of it. <laughs> Definitely, man. Thank Thanks, you. Gary. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Our producer is Dave Matthews. Our associate producer is Jasmine Plata. Sound engineering done by William Smith. Special thanks to Jennifer Stewart and Shiva Bayet. The Complex Sneakers Podcast is a production of the Complex Podcast Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.